0: Got dreams of being a professional podcaster, but have no idea what you're doing? This is impossible. That's about to change. A new kind of school. Welcome to the Pod School Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. Today, I'm going to be chatting about the different types of podcasts that you can create. And by no means is this an exhaustive list because you can bet your bottom dollar that as soon as I press publish on this episode, somebody will just come up with a brand new way of doing things. But just in case you're starting out and you're starting to think about putting a podcast together but you don't really know the different types or maybe you listen to just one type of show and you're not aware of the other ways that you can do things, I thought I'd run you through a few of the different styles and some of the benefits and disadvantages of those styles so you can work out what might best suit your content and your style of presentation. The first one is probably the most popular style and that is the interview show. This is probably really popular because in some respects it can be easy, in a lot of respects it can be very hard. But the reason it can be easy is because you're sort of drawing on the content of another person each week. So you're opening your show up to a whole bunch of different stories, different expertise. You're also exposing your show to a brand new audience. If your guest has a lot of fans and they share your show, that can open up your show to a new audience. So you can get a lot of content quite easily. I mean, you do have to put in the time to research and make sure that you're well prepared and you do need a lot of interview skills to make sure that those conversations roll really smoothly, but it can be a more simple way to get content than you just sitting there, pen poised over a piece of paper, desperately trying to work out now, what the hell do I say this week? That can be particularly the case if you have a format that means that you're asking the same questions of every guest, that can reduce your prep time down. It can, however, get a little stale if you don't do it right or if it doesn't perfectly suit the idea for your show. So it's always best, I think, to have bespoke interview questions, unless that sort of style of asking exactly the same thing every week really works for what you're doing. But that can cut down your time to prep as well. Some of the advantages I've just mentioned, obviously, your show is opened up to a lot more people, because if people love your guest, then they will want to hear what they have been doing elsewhere, and they might come and hear your show. So you'll get ears on it that you might not have done previously. You're getting more varied content content, as I said, and that means that you're basically tapping into the expertise and stories of other people. If you think about it, even though you will potentially have a lot of experience or you've got a lot of really interesting things to say, you do have a finite amount of that. You know, you are limited by your life experience and your expertise and all of the things that you've done. But if you open your show up to other people, then all of a sudden, you've got thousands and thousands of hours of other people's experiences and expertise and stories and all sorts of things so it can really just throw open the doors in terms of content and not make it so limiting for you. The other great thing is that you can do it from the comfort of your own home with just an internet connection and a microphone at your end. A lot of interview shows use Skype to record, so that can be a very simple way. I mean, you could be doing it in your PJs. If you're chatting to the person on Skype and they can see you, I advise that you just go PJs down the bottom business up top. But you can just do it at home, which can mean that you don't have to schlep around town with interview gear. You can be a bit more flexible in terms of fitting in with another person's schedule. So maybe if you're trying to get people overseas, you might be able to do late at night. So it can make things a little bit simpler, the fact that you can just do the show with an internet connection and a microphone. Some of the disadvantages, however, are of course booking guests. For a start, if you're just beginning your show and people don't know who you are and you don't have a real profile to speak of you don't have a website to point to it can be hard to get high profile people on your show that doesn't mean it's impossible and to be honest you really only need that one person who goes i'm going to take a chance on new sunshine and give this a burl and you can absolutely win people over with a great phone conversation or a great email there is no reason that you can't get your wish list guests on board but it can sometimes be tough in the early days when you're just starting out the other thing that can be difficult is just Just scheduling and booking guests that takes a lot of wrangling, particularly if your guests are busy, if they're high profile, if they've got a lot of stuff to do. You really need to work in with them. You can't say to them, Hey, I'd love to get you on the show, but I can only do half an hour on Friday in one week from now. You really have to kind of throw it open to them. If you really want them on the show, to get them on the show, you have to say, I'll work around you. And that can be quite tough. It can also mean that it's difficult for you to Meet that weekly deadline. So when you're doing an interview show, the further ahead of yourself that you can be in terms of the record, the better off you will be. Another disadvantage is that research can take a lot of time. Obviously, as I said, you could do the same questions for each interview, but remember that that can get a little tired for your audience. So it's often good to make sure that you're researching each guest. And also for your guest, they kind of like to be on the end of questions where it appears that you've spent a bit of time actually looking into their story and their past. That's a really good way to get a guest on side. So the more research that you can do, the better. And that can really take some time because you want to make sure that you've sort of covered all the contingencies and you really know your stuff when you walk into that interview so that you are absolutely in control and make your guests feel comfortable. You can check out another episode that I have of this podcast where I talk about some interview tips to help you get the most out of your guests. And and that'll take you through some other things that will help you make sure that they're looking at you going. Geez, I'm glad I did this and not. I hate your guts right now and I never want to see you again. One final disadvantage is that in an interview podcast, your fate can really be in your guests' hands. You need to bring it every single time, and interviewing does take a lot of time to get good at. Um, It is a real skill, and you need to practice and you need to be mindful of making sure that you're bringing your 75% to the table. But sometimes you'll catch your guest on a bad day or they'll kind of do it and they'll wish they weren't doing it or they will kind of take a dislike to you maybe for some unknown reason. There's a whole bunch of variables that you just don't have control over. It's always best to try and make sure that you're not sort of front loading your interview questions with anything that might Put them off and make sure that you really make them comfortable with you uh, before you get into the chat. So if you can do a pre-interview with them, that's great. If you've got a busy person, you're probably not going to be able to do that. Um, And if they haven't got a lot of information on the internet about them, then a pre-interview would be really helpful to try and help your questions. But if you can't get that pre-interview to not only hone your research but also build a bit of rapport, make sure that you schedule in enough time so that you can have at least sort of 10 to 15 minutes buffer so that you can sit down in front of the microphone and have a bit of general chit-chat to try and build some kind of rapport so that when you actually start the questioning, your guest isn't coming in completely cold. You want to warm them up a bit so that they get along with you, so that they like you, so that they feel like they're in safe hands and they feel comfortable and a few extra minutes at the beginning of your interview can really help with that. So so make sure you schedule that time if at all possible. The next type of show I'm going to talk about is The Solo Podcast. You are listening to one right now. It's just me talking into my couch cushions by myself with you on the other end. This is a fairly common style of show when you are dealing with somebody who is sharing their expertise or teaching something to an audience. It's a very intimate way to get to know your audience because you are literally presenting and talking straight to their ears. You're not talking to a co-host and an audience is listening in. You are talking directly to your audience. This is a great way to get across your message. It doesn't also need to be educational if you're a comedian or you just want to do your own social commentary on things. You can absolutely do a solo show, but it is difficult. If you are just starting out behind the microphone, actually talking to nobody is something that can be really hard to do. And it can be quite difficult to make it sound interesting and engaging because it can be tough to get the right tone in your voice. It can be tough to connect with your audience. It can be tough to get enough energy so that you can keep people engaged on the other side. So just be mindful of that because there Are some advantages that I'll go through, but it can be tough if you're just starting out. You need to be quite comfortable behind the mic if you want to do it well. Some of the advantages are obviously you don't have to worry about a damn other person because it is just you and your microphone on your schedule. So you don't have to worry about booking guests. You don't have to worry about a co host that sort of was really committed at the beginning and then got over it and sort of only turns up every second week. You have just got yourself to rely on. And if you are passionate about this, then And that can be great because you can work your own schedule, you can do this as much or as little as you want, and you are the only person you have to worry about. Editing your show is also much easier because you only have one voice to deal with. I can't, no matter how hard I try talk over the top of myself. So I don't have any of the issues that I can often have with a co-hosted show where I'm trying to edit things but somebody's spoken over the top of somebody else and I can't get a clean cut or somebody's gone off on a tangent and I've tried to cut it out but then later on they refer to it so I've got to drop it back in. Just having one voice can make the editing process so much easier. It is also much easier to stay on track. I have a plan for my shows. I know what I want to tell you. I know what I want to go through. And because I don't have somebody here to sort of get lost in the moment with, it is much easier for me to just get through my plan quite simply without much fluff or faff. So that can be a way to make sure that you stay on track. It's much easier to do so when it's just yourself. It's a good way to establish your expertise in a space if you're taking a show like this and you're instructing people or educating people on things. Or alternatively, if you're a comedian or a social commentator, it's a great way to get your point of view and your voice out into the world and um, to really just focus on you as the person behind the microphone. And finally, it really is a great way to establish a deep connection with your audience. Like I said earlier, they're not coming to a chat that you are having with somebody else. They are coming to a chat with you. So you are there with your audience. I am here with you directly, I'm speaking right to you. So it's a great way to build a deeper connection with your audience. Um, And that's really important if you want people to keep coming back, they need to feel like they know you and that they can trust you and that they begin to like you. Uh, Those are all important things to build fans for your show. Some of the disadvantages I've mentioned before, it can be tough if you've got no one to bounce off to get that energy and to get that conversational style happening so that your audience feels like they're just having a chat with someone. If you are just brand new, behind the microphone, that can be hard to cultivate. It's not impossible by any means, uh, but it can be a little tougher than actually getting a co-host you have good rapport with and trying to do a show that way. If you want some tips on presenting solo and this seems like something that you would like to do, then I also have an episode of this podcast that covers how to present solo and not sound like you're dead behind the mic, so that should help you. Uh, But one of the things that I would say, apart from taking the advice in that episode, is to just practice. You don't have have to release everything that you record and if you want to do a podcast but you want to get comfortable first that is great spend some time behind the microphone listening back to your episodes hearing whether the energy that you thought you had in your voice at the time is actually what translates into your ears when you listen to it back be self-critical and keep on practicing until you get that right amount of energy where you sound the way that you want to sound to your audience and then you can start to record actual shows that you're going to go live you could be dropping stuff down on tape for three years before you actually release anything into the ether you just need to make sure that you're comfortable and it's really important to listen back to what you're doing because what you are doing into the microphone I guarantee will always sound different to what you think it is on the other end so if you're brand new to this make sure that you're practicing so that you can get comfy so that your audience will feel connected with you and you won't sort of sit behind the mic and go uh what do I do by myself here How do I make myself sound interesting? It can be tough. So just practice and you will get there. The next type of show can be a panel show. So this can be, it's usually a host and then a number of rotating guests. So this can be excellent if you want to bring new perspectives and new um, sort of points of view and ideas and expertise into your show. If you don't just want to interview one person, but you want to do a range of perspectives on one topic, you hear this a lot in kind of newsy podcasts. Cast like 1A, they do a Friday news roundup and they'll get, you know, a bunch of journalists or experts. And there's one guy who's uh, hosting the show and we'll throw to each of the experts for their opinion. This can be great to really get a different perspective and to give your audience some different insights. So it's not just relying on you and your ideas, but it's also drawing on other people's expertise. And if you're rotating people through each week, then that can be so interesting for your audience, you know, because they're getting access to people that they wouldn't normally get access to and they're coming to your show and they're getting lots and lots of different expertise and, um, and ideas. So that can be a really great way to do things. Of course, the disadvantage of that is you have guests to book and that can be tough if you want to get really good guests that offer really good insight it might be difficult if you're just a brand new podcaster starting out obviously a show like 1a or you know any of the shows that are coming out of uh, news organizations they have access to a lot more contacts and so that can be easier for them to get people through the door maybe however you work in an industry where you have a lot of colleagues that could offer really great insights expertise or you know have a great personality have funny stories. So you might actually be able to draw on your personal contacts and personal connections to create this kind of show, but it can be difficult to book a bunch of guests. And as you know, with the interview podcast, it's hard sometimes scheduling one person. So if you're trying to schedule three people a week, that's just made your life three times more difficult. So that can be tough. It can also be hard to keep things on track. You have to really be quite skilled as a moderator. You have to keep the conversation going. You have to keep the ball moving and up in the air so you have to make sure that you're really on top of that and if you are doing this remotely so it's you somewhere say at home and you're connected to a bunch of different people via Skype or a Google Hangout or something like that that can be tough as well because you've got potential overtalk you might not have the usual visual cues that you have with your guests so it can be hard to wrangle that kind of show unless you have a bit of experience but if you get it right it can sound really awesome. The next type of show is a conversational show or a co-host show. This is quite common. You will find a lot of shows in this sort of style. My old show, Paul and Rach, was like that. Me and my old co-host from Radio Days, we used to do a show similar to the one that we did uh, on the drive show for Triple M, a radio station in Sydney, Australia. It's, you know, two or three people basically sitting around shooting the shit. You know, there might be one person that does the business kind of style of things. Usually that's helpful when radio, we call them an anchor. Um, But basically it just means that one person can keeps things on track, but they're not necessarily talking any more than anybody else. They're just there to keep the train on the tracks and make sure that the conversation keeps moving through. But basically, you know, both people or three people, they'll all have something kind of equal to add to the conversation. This is great for an audience because it really can feel like you're catching up with old mates. That is one thing that you get a lot from these kind of co-hosted style shows is that people feel like they want to be a Part of your little gang, and that can be a lovely thing to create for an audience. It can also be awesome for you as a co host because it is so great if you find the right people to have people there to bounce off. You've got all of those different stories, anecdotes, you know, points of view, funny tales, all of that stuff. Um, you know, you can all throw it in the bowl together rather than just having to rely on bringing everything to the table yourself. If you get the right chemistry with somebody or with two people oh we, it can be magic, magic for you as a presenter and also magic for the audience. Chemistry is what people stick around for. If you have the right chemistry, people love to listen to it because it's just like a normal social interaction. You're listening to people who dig each other, who get along, and people really like to be around that. So it can make for some really entertaining podcasting for sure. It can also share some of the idea load, which we know can be hefty. If you've got a bunch of people that you're doing a show with, everybody can throw their ideas in the ring rather than you having to come up with everything. So that's great. You've got new perspectives, new ideas coming in each week, which is awesome. It can also translate really, really well to a live show. People love to turn up and see their favorite gang of podcasters doing something live. So if that's something that you maybe want to work towards in the future, Doing that in a live way can be really, really great. They really lend themselves, those co-hosted shows, well to a live environment. So think about that. Of course, some disadvantages, the old scheduling and commitment issue. If you've got a co-host that you can never lock down or who was really into it at the beginning and now is sort of getting a little bored or has met some dude or some girl and fallen in love and now all of a sudden wants to be just out dating rather than podcasting, it can happen. You know, life can get in the way. So you really want to be sure when you wed yourself to a co-host that they are a person who is as committed to the show as you because people will start to buy into your chemistry. They'll start to like the way you guys sound together and they won't want to lose one of you. So you don't want to change that after you've started. So be mindful of that when you're getting in, that you marry the right person in a podcast. Very, very important. The other disadvantage is that it can be harder to edit. If you have more than one voice, You've got potential overtalk, you've got tangents, you've got faff and fluff that you need to get rid of, and it can be tougher to edit than just one voice. So just have a think about that when you're thinking about the time that you have to dedicate to your show. I would always advise, I know if you're a long-time listener to this show, you will know that I am a very big advocate for editing your shows, and so I think it's really important to do that, even if you think it was 100% gold, just go through it and do a to fine tooth combing, so you can make sure that only the best bits make it to air, but it can be a bit of a nightmare. Sometimes you will think in the moment that you are dishing out some absolute gold. And then when you listen back, it was a pile of garbage and you need to get rid of it. So those are things that you need to consider if you're working with co-hosts. I have another episode on this show that you can listen to that is all about working with co-hosts. So check that out if working with a co-host is something that you want to do and you want some tips in that regard. Next on the list, if you are a first-time podcaster, or even if you are a very experienced podcaster, this next style can be difficult to do well without... whole bunch of people behind you in an organization, journalists, a lot of time and a lot of production uh, assets. and that is storytelling podcasts. This you will hear, this is your serial style, your This American Life, nonfiction stories that are told. It's it's almost investigative journalism. I mean, it is investigative journalism, but it's not just investigative journalism because there's also the added element of sound design, telling story through sound. It has a lot of bits, so you'll have little bits of recorded audio on site. You'll have interviews with people, you'll have voiceover. This, unless you are really experienced, is something I would avoid in the early days because you are dealing with some very, very experienced competition and it has to be done well to compete. It's an overcrowded space and it's overcrowded by people who are professional radio people. So um, your NPRs, your Gimlet Medias, those kind of places where they've been doing this and podcasting for a long, long time. It can be a wonderful, wonderful podcasting style. This is one of my favourite styles of podcast but it can be tough to do solo. However, the thing that I love about the fact that this is open to people everywhere is that it now basically democratizes storytelling. So there are billions of stories on the planet and you might have a really fascinating one. Maybe your family is the most fascinating story and there's a whole bunch of different elements and you could go out and take your little recording device and talk to a whole bunch of people and get some actuality from the scene and do some voiceover and write things and your story can be compelling enough that you could put it together in a way that it would compete. It is not impossible to compete with these big players. You just need to have a story that is worth telling. But because this is now something that is open to everyone – there are, I'm sure, a few stories out there that will be worthy of telling. And if you get them into a podcast and the story is compelling enough, you will draw an audience. Along a similar vein, it's a less crowded space, although more people are doing it now, but there's also the fiction storytelling. So if you're a good um, writer or if you're a fiction writer, then this can be a great way to get your stories out. But again, it requires more than just somebody reading the story into a microphone. It's got to be audio storytelling. It's not an audio book. So this Will require production elements as well. And it's quite um, production heavy. So you do require some skills to actually do that. And of course, you have to be a really good writer who can write a compelling story, but you need somebody who's going to do a voiceover and really in some ways act out the story rather than just reading it. So that's something that you can think about if you're a writer, but it will require a bit of added sprinkle, not just you talking into a microphone. There is also another style that I call repurposed content. Basically, you'll notice this a lot with television shows that repurpose into a podcast. The Rachel Maddow show does it in the United States. Um, So does Real Time with Bill Maher. In Australia, Paul Murray Live, that's basically the panel and talk show that happens on the air, gets repurposed into a podcast later. This can also happen with live shows as well, like The Moth, the live storytelling show. Um, So there can be sometimes maybe you do a live show that might lend itself well to a podcast. It will require some editing because you can't necessarily just put the podcast out as it went live. You, you're going to have to sort of tweak it a little bit and cut some bits and bobs. But maybe you're a part of a live show at the moment that you think, gosh, this would make a great podcast. So have a think about that if, if you're a part of something like that. And the final style is a hybrid style, for want of a better term. Basically, it's just a mishmash of the previous. Sort of styles that I've mentioned. So maybe you do a conversational co hosted show, but you have a guest in every episode for an interview. Maybe you are a solo presenter and part of your episode is you having a bit of a rant and a rave or you dishing out some of your expertise. And then in the latter part of the show, you have a caller on to ask questions and you interact with them, or maybe you do an interview with somebody. So there's not just one style per podcast. You can really mix and match depending on what suits you and your content. So be as creative as you want. The world is your oyster when it comes to podcasting. Please, I would love it if you created a brand new genre. Hit me up on the email and said, you missed this genre, which I have made up all by myself, and it is spectacular. You can really create whatever you want and cherry pick the sort of best bits of each of the different styles to put together something that is really interesting and engaging for your audience. I hope if you had no idea what different types of podcasts there are, that now you have a clearer understanding of what the benefits and disadvantages of each style are and maybe you're starting to think, ooh, I'm starting to warm towards one of those styles there. I think it's going to suit my show. If you have any questions, you can always head to podschoolpodcast.com and hit me up on the contact page. You will also find information there about my online podcasting course, PodSchool. And if you are finding these tips helpful, you know what to do. You just got to sneak into your little podcast app and leave a review and a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. Thanks so much for joining me. I will see you next week. And until then, happy podcasting. That's all for today.